0: Amen, Good morning church, morning. One of the spiritual giants is Ronnie Rains. you all glad he 's your pastor if you 're not i can make I can make arrangements for him to go somewhere else no i 'm just kidding i 've known Ronnie over thirty years. I was a pastor in Henderson, Kentucky, at Zion Baptist Church for over 16 years, and I got to know Ronnie in the 90s there. He was at Northside in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And then I went to the Kentucky Baptist Convention to be the director of evangelism in 1999, and I met Ronnie on a deeper level there and uh, saw watched him grow up, basically, and recommended him to a church in northern Kentucky, Cold Spring, First Baptist Church, Cold Spring. He went there and really helped that church revitalize, and then he went to Bradfordville, well, then he came to Kentucky Baptist, was a consultant, and then he went to Bradfordville, and Charlene and I were there with him and Angie about five years ago doing a Sunday school revival one weekend, (coughs) and uh, what a church he was in, but then First Baptist Clarksville needed needed help, and God just laid it on my heart to uh, call Brother Ron, who was their interim at that time, and and said, I just believe Ronnie Raines would be a great fit at First Baptist Clarksville. And he has been, hasn't he? We love him. I know you all love him. And you're blessed uh, to have him. And I'm honored to be here today. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1. Peter was the first, one of the first disciples called by Jesus. So we want to start this great series of thinking about the spiritual journey of Simon Peter. He wasn't known as Peter at the beginning. In John chapter 1 verse 42, Jesus when he called him, he told him that his name would be changed from Simon son of John to Peter. The Greek word is Petros. It means a little rock, the chip off the big rock. But the problem with 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 Simon was it took him a while to become Peter. Jesus saw in Simon what he could be, not what he was. And that's true with many of us. God sees what we can be and keeps chipping away that part of us that needs to be removed and helps us to be transformed in the person that he sees. And it took Peter some time. Peter was a impetuous guy passionate guy an impulsive guy reactionary guy a guy with a quick temper and was always usually the one first to speak but his his journey started out as most of us It started out with a call of Jesus let's read about it in Mark chapter 1 I'm going to begin in verse 14 after John was arrested he's talking about John the Baptist Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe in the good news what a sermon now don't you know that Simon and and Andrew his brother and James and John and others had heard about Jesus they'd heard that Possibly that he had been baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. They'd heard about this teacher that grew up in the same area where they were in northern part of of Galilee, the northern part of uh, uh, by the Sea of Galilee. They'd heard about him, and then he comes preaching, and has a simple message: repent and believe in the good news. Then Mark's gospel has something right after that that was life-changing for simon listen to what it says and he as he was passing along by the sea of galilee this is jesus he saw simon and andrew simon's brother they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen follow me jesus told them and i will make you fish for people immediately they left their nets and followed him here's the good news of the gospel The gospel is personal. God doesn't save cities. He doesn't save countries. He doesn't save communities. He saves people. And he does it personally. Jesus, the Son of God, went to Simon and Andrew and then James and John. He went to them personally. And you can almost see him gesturing with his hand. He says to Simon, You... And then he looks at Andrew, you. And then later in the passage it says that after they followed him, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Salvation is personal. Jesus called Simon personally. You, he said, you come and follow me personally you see he 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 knew that Simon needed a change of direction Jesus probably knew that Simon was a successful fisherman but he was going to change his work as a fisherman into a greater work to see men and women boys and girls come to Christ that's what you're praying for in Bible school isn't it the boys and girls and even the people that are teaching in Bible school will deepen their faith and many of those children will come to faith and seeds of truth will be planted you see the journey of faith begins with a call jesus said come and follow me it isn't just a mental ascent it just isn't an intellectual exercise it isn't just gaining more knowledge it's a decision about the direction of your life My direction changed when I was 11 years old. I grew up in a little town in southeastern Kentucky, Burnside, Kentucky, sits right on Lake Cumberland. And in April of 1963, in a revival meeting, I decided as an 11-year-old boy to follow Jesus. When did you decide to follow Jesus? Just think about it for a moment. You ought to be able to remember when you started following Maybe you were a child like me, or maybe it was older in life. You were a teenager, maybe a young adult. Some of you came to, to faith late in life, but you ought to be able to reach back and touch that time when you started following Jesus. It was life-changing for Simon, and Jesus had told him, you're going to become Petros. you're going to become a different person, but he wasn't there quite yet. Like most of us, when I came to Christ when I was 11, uh, I simply was aware of sin. I had not done much wrong as an 11-year-old boy, but as a teenager, I caught up. Yeah, I pretty much did not go to church. It was my teenage years. The church I was attending, I grew up in, split when I was 14 years old, and my family quit going to church, and I didn't really go back to church until I was 20. Until I was 24 no one really discipled me Uh, so my faith did not grow much but I still knew Jesus and I was on a journey of faith maybe that's where you are maybe you started a journey of faith a long time ago but you're at a point today that you need to take a deeper dive you need to get joyfully serious about what it means to follow Jesus You see, following is about the direction of your life. It's about who's in charge. It's about who's calling the shots. It's about submitting yourself to someone's authority. We do that all the time. We go to the doctor's office and someone will come out and uh, an attendant or a nurse will come out and say, Mr. Garland, come and follow me. Uh, you go to a restaurant and a a server or or host will say, uh, come and follow me. We do that on a much lesser level all the time. But when Jesus was calling Simon and Andrew and James and John, he was calling on them to go deeper. It was about the direction of their lives. It was about what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. I'm going to make you fish for people. Listen, I don't know any of you very well. But I know God's got a plan for your life. And part of that plan is he wants you to tell people about him. You see, that's what Mike did, didn't he? I didn't know Mike. But Mike had a passion to tell people about Jesus through playing music and probably sharing his faith. Jesus said to Simon... And Andrew and James and John, come and follow me, and I will make you to become. And Peter was in the process of becoming. There's a next step as we follow the life of Peter. It's in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to turn there with me. Jesus took these disciples, these first disciples, and then he added some more. There were four of them, and then he added eight more. There were 12 of them. And in Matthew chapter 16, he took them away. Took, took them on a retreat, pulled them aside, and began to ask them some questions. And any time Jesus asks a question, you need, to, you need to listen. And he said to them in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16, And when Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You'll notice every every response is complimentary. People love Jesus. They thought a lot about him. They thought he was a great teacher. They thought he was prophetic. They thought he understood the law, but it was more than that. And then he said to them, but you, and you can almost seem looking around the room or looking around the circle at all but who, but you who do you say that i am and simon peter the spokesman for the group it was a deepening of his journey it was a, assuming a a, a a more of a leadership role he said you are the messiah the son of the living god who do you say jesus is it is really the question of christianity there are people today that believe Jesus was a son of God. There are whole denominations of people that say that, that he was a son of God. People believe he was a great teacher. Some believe he was a prophet. But that's not enough. You see, the journey of faith not only begins with a call to come follow Jesus, But it also means you have to confess who Jesus is. And that confession changes everything. Who is Jesus to you? If he is your Lord, if he is your Savior, if you can answer as Simon Peter did, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He was on this journey of going deeper. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you started following, but, but you haven't been serious about it. But now you're at a point that you want to go deeper. You want to understand more about what the divinity of Christ is all about. His claim that he is the, that he is God in the flesh. The claim that he spoke creation into existence. That's the word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you are in your journey, and maybe these next few weeks as your pastor unpacks some of these spiritual giants, it will speak, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and deepen your faith. But we know that this wasn't the end of the journey for Simon Peter. When we get to Luke chapter 22, and let's turn there, when we get to Luke chapter 22, it's toward the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And he is getting ready to be put on trial and and be crucified and then be resurrected from the dead. But before that, he draws these same disciples together to a upper room and has this what we call the Last Supper. He has this meal with the disciples. It's a special time. And he's telling them some things about what's going to happen, and they don't understand really. But it's inter- interesting after they come out of that meal and they're walking John tells us they're walking through the Kidron Valley and they're heading to the to the Mount of Olives and on the way Jesus singles out Simon Now you remember I said that he told Simon his name would be Peter but he didn't he isn't Peter yet he's still really full of Simon he's full of himself and listen to what it says in verse Thirty-one of Luke chapter 22 Simon Simon he uses his name twice in other words he's he's trying to remind him you're not where you need to be yet but you're going to be I've got a plan for your life Simon Simon he said Satan watch out he said look out Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I prayed for you That your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, and he uses a different term. It's the term of what he's going to be. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. There's good news here. He knew Peter was going to fail, and he loved him ahead of time. He prayed for him ahead of time. Simon, Simon, he says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. What does that mean? It means on your journey of faith, you're going to be tempted. It means on the journey of faith, you're going to have difficulty. I would even say on the journey of faith, you're going to fail. And if you haven't failed, if you don't understand that you have failed, you're probably delusional. You probably lie about other stuff. Because we all fail. That's what he was trying to tell Simon and, the, and really all the disciples. He said that, that, that you're going to fail. But I've prayed for you. That once you have turned, listen, there's good news, and when you have turned back, in other words, when you've made it through this trial, don't waste your failure. Strengthen your brothers. Simon was so full of himself, he went, No, no, no. No, no. It's like, hey, hey, Jesus, listen. This is me. This is Peter. I'm the dude, man. I got it together. I'm the rock. And Jesus said, Peter, I want you to know that before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you know me. Some of you are holding either yourself or others to a high standard. And when they fail, you don't have anything to do with them. Jesus... Loved Peter ahead of time, prayed for him ahead of time. And loved him in a way that only Jesus can love us when we fail. Maybe those people in your family or those people around you that are having difficulty. Maybe your own life. Maybe you need to understand the grace and the mercy of God. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I haven't drank alcohol since February the 15th, 1976. I was 24 years old. Before that, for about five years, I thought they was going to quit making alcohol, so I just thought I'd drink it all. So when I got my life right with God, when he began to speak to me as a 24-year-old young man, I'd go to church and... I began to pray for the Lord. First, I asked the Lord to take, to take alcohol away, which he did, praise God. But then I began to ask him to show me his plan for my life. And I'd go to Beacon Hill Baptist Church in Somerset. And every time the preacher would stand to preach, the Holy Spirit would say to me, that's what I want you to do. Well, I'm a graduate civil in- engineer from the University of Kentucky. I hope you all don't hold that against me being down here in Tennessee country or Austin P or whatever your persuasion is. But I-, I was an engineer. I didn't want to be a preacher. And so what I decided to do, I thought I would hide in the service. So in 1976, women had big hair. Took about a can of hairspray to get Bouffant. I mean, it's big. So I found the woman with the biggest hair, and I just decided to sit behind her. I thought I'd hide from the Holy Spirit, and Brother Gambrel was the preacher's name. He stood up that morning and split that woman's hair right down the middle. <laughs> and God kept saying to me, that's what I want you to do. I want you to preach my word. So on Easter Sunday, 1976, in a cantata service on Sunday night, I walked down the aisle of Beacon Hill Baptist Church and took Ansel Gamble's hand, and I said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, God's called you to preach. I said, how would you know that? I want to tell you, Jesus Christ changed my life. But my struggle was I had lived such a debased life for about six years that I didn't think I could go into ministry. I didn't think I was worthy to be a preacher. And you know what I came to understand? I am not worthy. Listen, church, there's nothing good in me but Jesus. Left to myself, I am a sinner on my way to hell. But with Jesus, I'm telling you, He changed my life. Has He changed yours? You see, you may have failed. Peter failed. You're going to fail. But the deal is, are you going to live in your failure? Are you going to fall down and stay down? Are you going to allow Jesus Christ to pick you up as he was trying to do with Peter? Peter did fail. If you read the story, he failed. Listen to what it says in verse 54. They seized him, that is Jesus, and led him away and brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. And when a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else said to him, You are one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said, that's two. And another, about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times And he went out and wept bitterly. Failure. Don't you know from this day on, the rest of Peter's life, every time he heard a rooster crow, he remembered his failure. Don't you know he remembered his failure? But I'm telling you the good news of the gospel is failure is not God's final word. If that were true, I wouldn't be here today. If that were true, some of you wouldn't be here today. You see, if we, if we left Peter there, if we left him at the end of this passage having failed Jesus, it would be a sad story indeed, and there'd be no good news of the gospel. There'd be no transformation of the Holy Spirit. There'd be no change in a person's life. But I stand before you today to tell you that Jesus Christ is in the business of, of overcoming our failure. Isn't that good news? I'm telling you. We meet, we meet Peter in Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up at Pentecost and after the Holy Spirit it fell upon him, and, and Peter stand he, he he stands up and gives testimony that, that, that this Jesus who you crucified God has raised from the dead. And he gave an invitation, the same invitation that Jesus gave, repent and believe in the good news. And guess what? Three thousand people got saved. What in the world happened to Peter? You see, he's no longer wallowing in failure. What happened to Peter is what's got to happen to every one of us. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to change direction. It's not enough ju- just, just, just to confess that Jesus is Lord. You need to meet him for yourself. And that's what happened to Peter. He came to know him personally. Look at John chapter 21. Oh, my, what a a story. In John chapter 21, Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And and so eight days later, he comes back and and appears to Thomas. And Thomas says, if I don't see the nail print in his hand and put my hand in his side, I will not believe But Jesus comes. The risen Christ is so gracious. He comes to Peter and says, here. He comes to Thomas and says, here, Peter. here, Here, Thomas, put your Put your 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 hand, your finger in my hand, in your place in my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas gives that great confession of the early church: "My Lord, and my God." And Peter witnessed all that, and yet he wasn't changed. Why wasn't he changed? Because he thought his failure trumped his faith. But that's not the good news of the gospel. So here's what happens in John chapter 21. Let's just read it. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two of the other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. What was he trying to do? He'd failed Jesus. He failed himself. He failed the disciples. And Peter said, well, I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. I'm going to go back fishing. But here's the good news. When he went back to to fishing, Jesus was waiting on him. Listen to what the story says. We're we're coming with you, they, they told him. They got out and went in a boat, and that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus' men, he said. "'You don't have any fish, do you?' "'No,' they answered. "'Cast the net on the right side, and you'll find some.' So they did. They were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish." When they got on the land, there was a charcoal fire there with fish laying out. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the third time he'd appeared to them after he had been raised from the dead. When they'd eaten breakfast, he asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. The second time he asked him, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. For every denial, there's a restoration. You see, Jesus was waiting on him. He was, sitting on the, he was standing on the seashore waiting on the disciples and waiting especially on Peter. Why? Because he wasn't done with Peter. He knew that Simon was becoming Peter, and he restored him. He redeemed him. He forgave him. He redirected his life. Feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. God's not done with you. We serve a gracious God. And the deal is you can come to him just like you are. I remember thinking when I was a teenager that if if I can just quit doing this. You know, the church I grew up in, they were again stuff. Do you all understand again down here in... Clarksville, Tennessee. Again, I was again it. Y'all y'all get that? Our preacher was again it. I mean, whatever it was. You wasn't to smoke unless you're a deacon then you did it on the front steps right before church. You didn't drink alcohol. Women didn't wear pants unless you're at home. <laughs> I never quite understood that exactly. Uh, you didn't play cards. He didn't smoke, you didn't chew, and you didn't go with girls that do. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure that was true, but anyway. There was all this against stuff, and I just thought if I could not do that kind of stuff, but I thought if it was if, if he was if he was against it, it must be fun, so I just thought I'd try it all. <laughs> and I figured well, I finally figured out I couldn't keep the rules. And it took me until I was 24 to realize Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a living person whose name is Jesus. And he wanted to overcome my sin. He wanted to over, he, he, he wanted there to be less of Dan Garland and more of Jesus in me. And that's my, that's my deal today, you see. And I, I had to finally come just like I was. I quite, tried to quit drinking for three years, alcohol. And it just, every time I'd quit, I'd come back worse. And I just finally had to come to him just like I was. And when I did, he changed my life. When I was with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, I traveled the state teaching evangelism. And one, uh, one spring, I was heading uh, to Hopkinsville uh, where my friend Larry Baker, he's here in the crowd today. Larry and I served at the kentucky baptist convention together for several years but i, I was heading to uh hopkinsville uh, but i'd gone to henderson to um uh, visit with some of my friends there and so i, I, w- I was coming south uh, on the penny rile and i stopped in Hanson, kentucky just north of madisonville and um there was a and, and and that day there was a outlet store there called lee's jeans outlet and i thought well i need a new pair of jeans So I had a little bit of time. So I walk into this Lee's Jeans outlet, and on the back wall is the sign of my favorite guy, Clarence. I like Clarence. You all like Clarence? I don't buy anything full price. A big sign that said Clarence. So I was attracted to that sign. And there was all these round racks of blue jeans. And I thought, and they had them. They were $15. And I thought, now that's getting down to my price right there now. So I walked up, and these round—there was these round racks of jeans—and I got to looking at these jeans, and there was a sign, little stamp on on them that said "As Is." And as I looked at that sign, the Holy Spirit bumped me and said, "There's." He, uh, the Holy Spirit said, "Dan, there's preaching in that sign." I said, "Speak to me, Spirit." I said, "Everybody that comes to me has to come as is." Now, you can look at your neighbor and say, Come as is. You know, you got to come as is. But then there was another little sticker that was on there that said slightly irregular. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said to me, Everybody has to come as is, and everybody is slightly irregular. I've already met four or five of your people this morning and I've already realized they are slightly irregular, Matthew. There you go. Hello. I mean, you know, that's the way we are. We're all a little slightly irregular, aren't we? You see, the deal is you can come to Jesus just like you are. You don't have to quit this. You don't have to know that. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to have memorized a bunch of Scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But your life is not ever going to be changed until you respond to the call of God to come and follow Him. And when you do, He will change your life. I got one more story, and I'll just try to quit. You know, I never get done. Where I grew up, you'd go into Adderholtz and get a, uh, get a bologna sandwich, and he'd ask, thick or thin, <laughs> you know, and preach it. You know, it's kind of like, it's either thick or thin. You know, you just finally quit, right, Mike? I mean, you know, right, like, uh, you're John Mark. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you know, Mike went to big glory, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, uh, my wife, Charlene, uh, we have a daughter, only child. Uh, she has two granddaughters in Mount Juliet. I don't know why we didn't have them first. That would probably have worked out. Anyway, uh, my wife has the spiritual gift of shopping. <laughs> and she has passed it on to our daughter. And uh, she they're real good at it. So she was in college at Georgetown College in, in outside of Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, we were living in Louisville. I was working for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And so our daughter came home for the weekend. Now, if you've got kids in college, you know why they come home. They come home to sleep, eat, get their laundry done. And what's the fourth one? Get more money. You can't have enough money. Anyway, she'd come home for the weekend. She had her good 12 hours in. She got up about noons, and she and her mother decided they were going to go to, to the women's Dillards in Louisville at the mall. And my daughter said to me, come on, Daddy, go with us. I mean, that wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't. If it was a scale of 1 to 10, it was minus 5. Me, my idea of shopping is you go in and conquer the store. You find Clarence, and you buy at the best price you can get, and you get out of there. Well, their idea of shopping is you experience. It's an experience. you got to feel, you know, everything. So my daughter said, oh, Daddy, take a book or something and go out and just sit down. And so I went. So I sat in the women's shoe section of Dillard's in chairs. So I'm reading a golf magazine. Well, I get done and I figure they're done. Well, i go to find them. They hadn't even got to where they was going yet. They got stuck in the purses. And my daughter says to me, oh, Daddy, go back and sit down. And so, okay, I don't have anything to read. I, the phones, I didn't have all the stuff on the phones in those days. But anyway, I walk back by this cosmetic section called Origins. And there's this sign, this chalkboard sign sitting on a needle. And it said, come inside and find out how to right yesterday's wrongs take care of today and make a plan for tomorrow I thought Lord have mercy what are they selling so I walk up to the counter and I said What you sign about and the woman said oh that's an advertisement for a skin rejuvenation treatment I said give me a big bottle I need some of that I walk away and as I walk away the Holy Spirit bumps me again and said Dan there's preaching in that sign I said speak to me spirit he said Dan I've got a soul rejuvenation treatment and it's called salvation and when you come to the cross and trust Jesus listen he writes yesterday's wrongs he'll take care of today and he'll help you make a plan for tomorrow I tell you we serve a good God We serve a gracious God. We serve a loving God. We serve a forgiving God who's got a plan for your life. And I've just decided to follow him all the way to heaven. What about you? And if you haven't decided to follow him, we pray this will be the day. If you have decided decide to follow him but you need to go deeper we pray this would be your day this church would love to have you as a member we'd love to get you in a small group we'd love to have someone come alongside of you and teach you more about what it means to follow jesus but some of you are dealing with failure today and obviously some of you are dealing with grief i'm telling you jesus is praying for y'all he is He's praying for you just like he did Simon Peter. He's praying for you that you will let him take control of your life and give you that peace that passes all understanding. Let's stand to our feet as we pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for what you've done in my life, God, redeeming me from the pit of hell. Thank you for changing the direction of my life and leading me to a life that I could never have imagined, leading me to my wife and just a whole new existence, Lord, leading me to in, into the church to preach your divine, inspired, and errant Word of God, leading you to know people like Ronnie Rains and Angie and so many godly people I've come to know through the years, from my friend Larry Baker and the way you've used him and god for people right here at first baptist clarksville thank you for their faithfulness thank you for john mark and for pat and others that serve here so faithfully and lift up the name of jesus lord draw us to yourself today we pray for ronnie and angie and other staff and for pastors all across this convention that have made their way to new orleans and we pray god that they do there will be god honoring We pray for thy will to be done. We pray that uh, what we say and do will uh, bring honor and glory to Christ. So Lord, thank you for your presence in this place today. And we pray that you'll draw us to yourself and speak to us personally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Pat's going to be here. John Mark's going to lead us. You come as we sing, won't you come?